morning, church family. What a delight to be with you. Um, I love worshiping with you. I, sometime when you're in the middle of the thick of it, uh, worshiping, just gaze around the fellowship here. It's really a delight to see people fully engaged. Some people just being thoughtful as they sing through it. Some people fully engaged. Um, some of us struggling with the beat and when to clap, when not to clap. But none of that matters really because God's delighted in our hearts, right? And he, he delights in us bringing him praise. So thank you so much for the privilege of delight, really. And um, there's another delight we get to share in. We get to share in the pleasure of this great truth, that God speaks, and we're invited to listen and respond, to listen and respond to his word. And um, it's such a delight. I was, I was uh, just getting here and, uh, before the first service, and a person came up to me and said, oh, Ron, yeah, I really like your shirt. So, well, thank you very much. She, she said, it matches your hair. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're killing me. You mean I have flowers in my hair? I didn't like, yeah. And I was just like, oh, man, that's great. Well, this, is a, this is a delightful body. If you haven't been a, a privilege to, to share in this good fellowship, I hope you uh, take delight in it. Because God crafted this fellowship for your growth, for your sharpening, and for you to grow closer to him, and to take joy in the process of that. And I certainly do um, your delight. So this week, we get to dive into Revelation chapter 10, invites you to open your Bible, and to listen as God communicates to you, to me, um, about who he is, and his design for the world. And if you've missed the first nine chapters in the book of Revelation, don't panic. It's okay. You can get online, listen to the messages. You can dive in. This is the first step. Dive into the book of Revelation and read it. Start to dive in and ask questions. And there's all kinds of great resources. If you want to get more resources to study, I'd invite you to just email me. I'm in the bulletin or online. You can check, get my email or can um, email Pastor Fred or one of the other pastoral staffs. We'd love to engage with you about the messages. And if you want to dive deeper, there's other resources like BSF starting up. Isn't that, Robin? You guys are doing the study of Revelation. There's all kinds of ways to dive deeper in, so we encourage you in the process. So Revelation chapter 9 is where we left it last week. And it was a pretty arresting, horrifying, actually, scene that we're left with. Because God is unpacking his judgment. He unleashes it by unleashing evil. As he's unleashing this evil, and it's not him that's the author of the evil, but he is the author of judgment, we see this incredible scene at the end of chapter 9 where people see the judgment of God fall and they turn to worship anything but him. They continue to resist in him. And those scenes painted for us in Revelation 9, though they're horrible and incredibly frightening, Worse than any Wes Craven invention, I think, in fact. They leave us with this inescapable reality that God is going to accomplish his purposes. And he's in control of these judgments, which begs a question for us. Why would God judge like he's judging? Why does a God who is full of grace and love judge and the Bible has a few big picture answers to that, I think, that we need to think about before we dive into chapter 10. The first truth is this, that God is holy. God is holy. And by that I mean, he's perfect in all his ways. 
There's no ugliness, there is no evil or imperfection or hidden fault or rebellion or sin in God. And his agenda for you and for me and for each one of us is to be holy. First Peter says, be holy as I am holy. God's appeal to us that we are to share in the holiness of God. And that's his agenda for us. And in the economy of God, there's only two options when it comes to unholiness, unrighteousness. The first is that we receive God's gracious gift of holiness that comes to us because Jesus died for us. He sacrificed his own perfect son so that we might share in the righteousness of Christ, Scripture tells us. We might take what he's done on the cross for us and trust it by faith and just receive him and his holiness And that becomes, as theologians say, imputed righteousness to us. We are holy because of his gift. But there's another answer that God gives for those that refuse the holiness, the gift of his righteousness, and that is that God acts. He acts to destroy all that is unholy. And that's the story that's being played out in the book of Revelation for us. The God in his holiness will not tolerate unholiness forever. That he will act because God's expectation for you and for me and for the world is for all things to be right and good and whole and perfect. And one day he will establish that for all time. So God is holy is the first answer. The second answer the Bible gives us is that God is absolutely just. There are no compromises with his justice. And every person will at one point in the future, according to scripture, stand before God and be accountable for all their activities, all the things that you thought about, all the ways you failed God, all the ways you rebelled this week. We we are accountable before God and only by his mercy do we escape the justice of God. But God does not tolerate evil or sweep it under the rug. This week I was... Um, I know this is going to be stretching in the imagination, but one of our kids um, wasn't being completely righteous. And uh, so parents, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're just tired at the end of the day and you don't want to step in one more time and bring correction. It's like, and you just feel like, oh, I just maybe I'll let this one slide. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody ever, ever experienced that? Maybe I'm the only parent that's ever experienced. Okay, good. Some of you have. And um, and I was thinking, and of course, Sue is better at this than I am. She doesn't let it slide because she loves our kids, you know, and she's going to help bring the righteousness of God down on our kids. No, not down on them. I'm just kidding. But, you know, as parents, you, you wrestle with those things. You know, when do you step in and sometimes you just want to, God does not let anything slide. That's the word of God to us. He doesn't let unrighteousness slide. Not one thing. Now, God is patient. In his great love for us, he's going to be patient for us to choose his holiness, the gift of his righteousness to us. So today, we have a choice to receive that gift. But God will not allow things into eternity to remain that way. He is going to judge and make things absolutely just, make things right. And for those who refuse grace, the book of Revelation is telling us that justice will be served. And third, the Bible tells us that God is absolutely committed to make all things new. And this is such good news for us, right? 
Because our world, though, is really beautiful in a lot of respects. It's broken and scarred. It's full of disease and violence and injustice and poverty. Ecological disasters around us, wars around us, they all remind us that all is not well. And this world that we live in is damaged, horribly damaged, many levels. And that's not God's final plan. There's something far greater, and the book of Revelation tells us. If you want to read ahead, you can read ahead. There's great stuff in store for what God is going to do. And with that, kind of the big picture things in mind about why God brings justice, we come to Revelation chapter 10, which much like Revelation chapter 6 is a parenthesis. So there was a series, if you missed out, there was a series of um, judgments that happen leading up to a parenthesis in Revelation chapter 7. And then here in Revelation chapter 10, there's another parenthesis where there's a group of judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then between 6 and 7, there is a parenthesis. And it happens here in chapter 10 and into chapter 11. So we find ourselves in chapter 10. This is the word of God for us. And just think about what's happening. Okay, I'll just read it out. If you don't have a Bible, there's some provided for you, or you can just get it on your app on your phone. That's a good way to always have the God's Word with you. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. So Revelation is filled with this great imagery, and this is a crazy great picture of this mighty strong angel and he had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot this one on the sea and left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring and he called out and the seven thunders sounded so this audio thing is wrapping around this this imagery that john is experiencing and I was about to write, because the thunders were actually speaking, John is communicating. He's about to write down the message like he's written down other messages here in Revelation so people would know. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and all that is in it, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all what is in it. So the one creator God who created all things in heaven and earth, all the cosmos, he's worrying by him. That there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, this colossus angel. He goes up to this colossus angel right, and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and I will make it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten 
it my stomach was made bitter, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is God's word to us, and you might be asking the question, how in the world am I ever going to use that message to live for Jesus this week? What, what difference does it make for me at work or at school or at home to live for the Lord? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be stretching my brain to think about it. So let me back us up and help you understand some of the big picture of what is happening here in Revelation to move us forward, okay? Any of you ever see the, the uh, television show Mythbusters? So I, I kind of like to watch it with my boys sometimes. And there's a reason why that show is so great. It's because they destroy things. And, and they like, this is a guy thing maybe, but they, they like to blow things up and smash things on that show to demonstrate great scientific truth. And how great is that? What kind of great job would that be to have that as your profession, to be able to blow things up? Right, guys? So um, in this, they're, they're trying to blow up myths. That's the, the object of the show. And I think that there are some things happening in the book of Revelation like that, where God is blowing up some myths, some cultural myths that are incorrect for us to realign ourselves with actually what God's reality is and the truth of our cosmos. Here's the first myth, that we can get away with some stuff. That we, that's a myth, that you can get away with stuff. You know that? But um, a lot of people operate their lives, most of us operate our lives at some point, on some level, that we can get away with stuff. Like you grew up in a home where you probably were able to get away with some stuff. Your parents were not omniscient, and sometimes you got away with stuff. Sometimes your kids get away with stuff, right? Parents, you know that's going on, but you don't know all things. Sometimes we do that, and we see it happening at work or on traffic. On the way here, you're just wishing, man, I wish that CHP was right around the corner. That guy just got me off, right? People operate on this level that they can get away with stuff. But the Bible is teaching us in the book of Revelation that the whole world, every person is accountable for every action, and everything will be brought into line with God's holiness and perfection, and he will judge it. And there's no getting away from the omniscience and the justice of God, that all things will be held accountable before God one day, which is, of course, encouraging on one level, and it scares the snot out of us on another level, right? That God is that way, but we cannot get away with stuff, and that's the first myth that Revelation is blowing out of the water. The second is this, that God is not in control of the world, I have a lot of people in my life that believe this. Well, God's not really in control of all the, all the stuff around me. But that's not the message of this text here and the imagery of the sovereignty that this, this angel has. Nor is it the message of revelation. The message of revelation is that God is in control. He is sovereign regardless of how things seem like they're spinning out of control. Chapter 9 of Revelation, it seems like things are going way out of control. But chapter 10 steps in and says, no, God is sovereign. In my life and my family, sometimes things seem like they're getting out of control. This weekend, we had all kinds of health things going on with my parents. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, how do, how do we put a lid on this and stop this? Do you think sometimes like you're caring for your kids, you get your kids to that place where you're over the hump and you're not you know, having to do all kinds of things with your kids. And then all of a sudden it happens with your parents. You're like, oh my goodness, you know. But I'm reminded of this great truth. God is in control. 
I was uh, communicating with some friends of mine, and they're struggling with things in their family that are way out of control with their kid. And, and how do they bring this in line? And I was reminded again, even this morning, how good it is to know as a parent, how good it is to know in my family, as students with your parents, as you live with your parents. Parents, you're not in control. Did you know that? If you haven't learned that lesson, by the way, you're going to. All right, if you just have a newborn in your house and you haven't learned the lesson yet, um, there are some of us who have more experienced parents, and you know the truth of this. You're not in control. <laughs> Fortunately for you, God is. God is sovereign with your family. He is in control. And when things seem like they're way out of control, you can pray. Oh, God, would you do work in my kid? Because I, I, this is out of my hands. They're, they have their own little personalities, their own little wills their own things. Now, I, as a parent, can shape things and help them along and listen to them and, and try to invest in their life. But when it comes down to it, the truth of this is that I'm not sovereign, but God is. God's in control. I just want to bless you with that great truth because it comes straight from Scripture that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's not out of control. Here's a third big picture reality for us, a myth that God bl- blasts out of the water in Revelation. The angels look like precious moments creatures. Have you read the book of Revelation? Have you looked at the angels that show up on the pages of God's word? They're nothing like that little thing that's in grandma's little case, right? They're nothing like that. I love what Eugene Peterson has said about angels. He describes them this way, that they are vast, fiery, sea-striding creatures with hell in their nostrils and heaven in their eyes. That is the angel that's described in scripture. It's a great description. Here's another myth that I need or deserve to know everything. If you think that you know everything, then you need to get over that adolescent phase. You know what I'm saying? You don't. We'd like to, we'd like, we long to know everything or act like we do, but the truth is that we don't know everything. And there's some things in Scripture that are a mystery to us which begs us to be people of faith, to trust God in this. So the seven thunders rumble, and they're telling John a message. He's about to write it down because that's his job, right? He's been doing that. And he's told, now, this one, we're going to keep a secret. It's a mystery. Mystery's okay. And in God's word, there are some things, in the character and nature of God, there are some things that are mysterious that are beyond me. And it's okay, because that calls me to be a person of faith. So, what do the the thunders tell John? Can't help you there. Doesn't tell us. How do I escape hell and the coming judgment of God? Well, I can help you with that one. It's clear. Only by the grace of God, as I trust what Jesus has done on the cross, kind of escape what God's plan is to bring all things in line to his holiness and justice. And finally, here's, a, here's another myth, that our witness is easy. It's not. Um, the message that we have, this great truth that Jesus rescues us, and he's got this great future, for internal future for us in mind, and it's a free gift from Jesus Christ to us, and we just trust him by faith that we're rescued from this. That, that all is great, a great message to share, but the truth of it is 
that people respond to that great truth in many different ways. John is writing to people who have been persecuted. Actually, some family members had been martyred, and some people were imprisoned because of their faith. And that's been the case of people's reaction against the gospel from the very beginning. Our witness, when you go to work and school this week, um, great news you have to give to others. But it can be difficult, can it? It can be, can be challenging. And that's the message in part of the sweet and bitter thing. So those are some of the big myths. Let's get to the text itself and some of the questions. Because every time we're in Revelation, you should have a whole host of questions that are popping up. And I want to give you an opportunity, actually, um, after this morning, whenever, during the week, if you've got questions, please feel free to email and Pastor Fred would like to answer all those questions. So send all your, no, um, send it to anybody on staff. We would love to interact with you about what's going on in Scripture. And as we get that, if you want to email us or if you have our, our, our cell phones, you want to text us with the, with the questions, feel free to do that. And in a few weeks, we're going to respond to those. We're going to just like the big questions people are still having. Um, a friend of mine told me that uh, I, she, she, she and her partner were in the nursery department uh, last week. And um, they hear the, the message on the speaker, but they often get distracted because they got the little kids they're caring for. And so they're trying to hear the message, and, but also trying to focus in on the care and nurture of these little children. Some of yours maybe in there providing all kinds of delight and noise. And um, so she's in the middle of this, and she's like, you know what? This lady said, I think I missed the rapture. <laughs> did, that, did that already happen? You know, like we're in chapter nine, and I think I missed it. So if you have any of those questions, we're going to try to tackle them in a few weeks, okay? So relax. It's going to be good. So feel free to get us whatever questions you might have. But chapter 10, what does it say? So a couple questions first, kind of smaller questions, and then some of the heart me questions I'm going to get to. Here's the first question. Who's the mighty angel of chapter 10? You see, it. there's a pretty astonishing imagery, both in audio and visual that John provides of this angel. So this judgment happens in chapter 9, and people are still resisting, running away from God, worshiping false idols. And then there's a stop, and he sees this fantastic imagery of this mighty angel. Who is it? So theologians have come up with all kinds of different imaginative answers to that, as you can imagine. And, um, but the couple, couple of the, the two major views are, first, that this is an, a theophany, a picture of Jesus himself. And they point to his, um, this angel's authority standing over the sea and the earth. Because what's going to happen is that Revelation is the story of the coming of Jesus and his kingdom coming, which we're encouraged to pray for. And to long for. Even so, Revelation ends, come Lord Jesus. That's what the believer longs for, hopes for, because in that day, God will make all things right and new. So they think that this is a picture of that, the coming reign of Jesus, and it's imagery of his sovereignty. And there's some similar imagery used in chapter 10 to what's used in Revelation chapter 1. And also they hear this voice like a roaring lion. They think of that imagery in chapter 5 where it's the lion of the tribe of Judah and they turn and see the lamb that was slain, Jesus himself. And so they make an assumption that this must be Jesus. But many other scholars believe that the language clearly speaks of an angel and says it's an angel on multiple occasions throughout the chapter. And they believe that this angel must 
most likely be because it's a strong angel, one of the archangels, one of the strongest of the angels in heaven. And it's a picture of how majestic and powerful even an angel that's subservient to Jesus self is and the powers of heaven that are moved here. Whatever the interpretation you choose, the message happens to be the same. And that is God is in control. That's the message of this imagery. That God is in control. He's sovereign over the events that happen in the people that are in this world. So that's the message. Not sure exactly which one it is. I happen to, to believe that it's an angel, an archangel that's standing here in the presence and giving this message to John. But whatever you choose, the point is that God's in control. There's another question. What's, what's that scroll about? What's in his hand, right? It's this mighty colossus angel, and he's got this little bite-sized scroll that he asks, right, that, that John is invited to eat, and he pops it in his mouth, and, and it's sweet first, and then it becomes bitter in his stomach. So is this the same scroll that we see in, John, or in Revelation chapter 5? Is it equal to that? There's descriptive language. It's called a little scroll, which the Revelation 5 scroll is not. But the answer is, we just don't know. We don't know. So we can come with some guesses. What we do know is the nature of this scroll, the message that's written on there. It's sweet and bitter. It's kind of like one of those um, ghost pepper chicken wings. All right? You think, wow, this is going to be great. You pop that in your mouth, and all of a sudden, whoo! Right? That's a little bit of the message of God that packs all this power and surprise in it. But the most important two questions I think that are raised, the, the preeminent question is raised in chapter, or verse 7 of chapter 10. So verse 7, look there if you would. There's the scene of this angel who has raised his right hand to heaven, verse 6, and swore by him who lives forever, and that is God himself, that there would be no more delay but that the day, in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. So what is the mystery of God? What is that? So in Scripture, fortunately, we have plenty of clues to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers who were Gentiles primarily, who had been... Um, received the message of God's grace through Jesus, through Paul, and come to faith in him and spread that out. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we hear the message that in the mystery of God concerns Jesus and the crucifixion. Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, these words, of this church, starting verse 24, I was made a minister so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery mystery of God he's talking about, which has been hidden from ages and generations. So everything that happened in the Old Testament times was leading up to this, but people didn't know who the Messiah was, and they didn't know what his ultimate plan was for the ages. That was mysterious to them. And Paul is helping them understand these, Col these believers in Colossians what this story is, but has now been manifested or made known to his saints. He's talking to those people who are believers in Jesus. You become a saint whether you look like one or not, you are in God's eyes, right? So it's made known to them. To whom God willed it to make known 
what is the riches of the glory of his mystery, the mystery of God among the Gentiles, which is, here it is, drum roll please, Christ in you. That's the mystery, the hope of glory, that Christ would be in Rick or in Dolores or in you or in me for those people who have entered into relationship with Jesus by faith. That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that has been happening, been weaving out. We proclaim him. It's part of the message that we give out, this mystery, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That word complete, that is holy in Christ, righteous before him. That's the mystery that you can be holy as God is holy. The mystery of this great grace of God given through Jesus Christ. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf that your hearts may be encouraged, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. There's that word again. That is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Colossians and 1 Corinthians 2 help us understand it. And this from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. And he made, that is God made known to us, the mystery, there's that word again, of his will, according to his good pleasure. He delights in this. God delights in this. Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. He's talking about a time in the future to these Ephesian believers where all things will come to fulfillment. This mystery of God's plan to the ages to bring people to himself in relationship with himself. So, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the end game that God has in the book of Revelation. That Jesus Christ reigns forever and ever. Physically, tangibly. And we live under that perfect reign and rule. So that's the end game God is weaving out. And when the mysteries of God, that is his special work in Christ brings us out. He's going to bring Gentiles to glory, and he's going to bring Israel. Because as Peter states in Acts 15, 14 through 16, God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, a people for his name. And after these things, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. What's being talked about is this mystery that God has an agenda. He's going to bring people, non-Jews, to faith in Jesus Christ and build his kingdom that way. But he's not leaving Israel in the dust. He still has a plan. His end game is to bring the salvation to those people who are Jews. It has not happened today. If you go to Israel today, you'll discover a very secular country. People without real saving faith. Yet. But God is not finished yet. That's the great news that we proclaim. God is not finished yet. In Romans chapter 11, 25 to 26, it states that the mystery of Israel's partial hardening, the hardening of their heart, will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, until that last person who is a non-Jew comes to faith in Christ. And so all Israel would be saved, that is, in the future. And this is what all the prophets were were speaking of in the Old Testament. You see it in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, those prophetic words. And that's why this angel right here in chapter 10, verse 7, speaks of it. Just as he announced to his servant, the prophets, it's pointing to the mystery of God, this plan of God to bring people to himself. And it includes both Jews and non-Jews, all of us. 
In fact, it includes many people from many nations and many languages and many tribes as have been speaking of throughout the book of Revelation. So this passage, it echoes the message of that prophetic word in Daniel chapter 12. And it all fits together. It's really this great mystery of God's salvation of all people. And that's the mystery. It's going to come to fruition as we work our way through Revelation. So why is that message, the big message of the gospel, sweet and bitter? I touched on it a bit. But here's the deal. The message of the gospel is incredibly sweet and good. That, that we have a personal relationship with God and we didn't do anything to deserve it. All we did is trust what God has already done. How good is that? That's sweet good news that it's free for all people who will trust in Jesus, who will take a step of faith and trust him. That's great news. But it is bitter. It's bitter for John as he's going to speak this out. It's bitter for those people in the first century that were reading and listening to this because they were being persecuted. It's hard, right? You're going to get negative reaction when you tell people great news. And that's the nature of the gospel and God's eternal plan because people always want to do their own plan. That's what was happening at the end of Revelation 9, people pursuing their own desires and their own plan. So there's bitterness. But there's another reason why it's bitter. It's bitter because people reject the gospel and come under the judgment of God. And it will be heartbreaking. It'll be heartbreaking. Uh, It's so easy, isn't it, to get hardened of heart? Think of our friends and our family members, people that we love even, who uh, reject the gospel. And their end, scripture is very clear, is heartbreaking. And we ought to be attuned to that in our hearts. Many people, they read the judgments of Revelation and they're unmoved. They think, oh, that's going to happen to people at the end time and that's I don't have to worry about that because I'm going to be raptured or I'm going to be taken out. I don't have to suffer any of that stuff. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that we're called to love people and there are people that have yet to come to the rich knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that ought to break my heart. I want the same heart that God has. So what difference does this message in Revelation 10 have for us? That's the big question, right? Don't want you to leave without grabbing hold of it. Just a couple great things that should compel us here. First, just like every chapter in the book of Revelation, the message is that God is sovereign, and every person and every event is under the hand of God now and to come. And we had to rest in that truth and be encouraged by that truth. When things seem spinning out of control at work or at school or in your life, the message of the book of Revelation is don't panic. God is sovereign, even in the most horrible of times. God is sovereign. And whether you, whether you doubt it or not, the truth is that God's word proclaims is God is in control. That's good news. That's really, really great news. Right, Paul? And that's good news. Second, the gospel is sweet, but reactions to it, they are heartbreaking. There are people that you know and that you love who will reject Jesus Christ and the good news and the consequence of that rejection is going to be bitter for you. But don't let your heart be hardened. The work of God is to draw people to himself. 
The work of us who follow Jesus is to simply let people know how sweet the good news is. And we're going to have our heart hurt. That's part of the nature of it. But we have great hope that God is going to bring all people in his plan to himself. He's going to work out holiness in this world and he is going to make things new. And thirdly, just know that God is always faithful to his word. In Revelation 10, at the end of it, it says, and I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it in my stomach, it was made bitter, just as he was promised. In fact, the story in the book of Revelation is all the promises of God will come true. All of them. And I can rest in that great knowledge that they will all be faithfully fulfilled. John is told the scroll will be sweet to taste and bitter to his gut. And guess what happens? It's sweet and it's bitter. We're told in this book that judgment and renewal are coming. Guess what's going to happen? This means that this week, I need to find the courage to speak out about the sweet message of salvation to people around me, even though I know that the reactions are going to be mixed. But I can't do it my, myself. I can't just, I can't follow Jesus by myself, and I can't be faithful to the message to help people understand what's going to happen in the future by myself. I have to do it in community. That's why we as a church believe so deeply in getting connected I look out and I see some great friends here, some people who are spiritually mature who feed me in our relationship, and you have great potential to feed each other. And we believe that in our context, to live out God's word and what he has in store for us in the future, we can only do that through community. If you're one of those leaders, one of those community leaders, a ministry leader, or a small group leader, could you just stand where you're at right now? Could you just stand if you're a small group leader or in any way life group leader or ministry leader, great. You see people around it, great. Love that, you guys. Now, here's the deal. There's a whole host of small groups that we have. You keep standing. Sorry, Kenny Mathay, I need to keep standing. People want to look at your beautiful faces. Thank you. Great. Um, we exist as community with all these community groups to connect you to places where you can grow and thrive in your faith. And right after church, don't sweat it, guys. The football game can be taped. Right after church, something more important is happening. Um, right through these doors and across the patio in the gym, we have all of our small group leaders that are going to be connecting you to community for your own spiritual growth this year. And they're going to be right there. They've got goodies there. We actually are bribing you with goodies and breakfast burritos that are on the other side. And we want you to stay for a while and connect so that you can find a connection group and you can thrive in your walk with Christ and your witness. Because the deal is this, that the Lord Jesus is coming back soon. And we have every opportunity to live for him and to thrive in him. But it happens as we do it together. So we need you to visit one of those groups and just get information. See how you can dive in and connect and grow and encourage people around you. I'm going to ask our small group leaders now to just step out and go across the way and get set up because I know you've got goodies and stuff for the rest of us. So if you would do that, let them through if you would. And then um, we're going to continue in a worship here with us as they set up. And then you're going to, at the end of the service, walk straight over and connect with a group. 
or just get information. Maybe you still have questions about how that fit your schedule and your family schedule this week and how you can best live in community. So let me pray, if I might, for what God's just been teaching us. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of it, the strength, the power of it. I pray as we keep diving into some of these mysteries that you would just awaken us, sensitize our hearts, help us to grow with you and in your word, the knowledge of it and how we apply it to our lives. We thank you that you are in control and you have this great, powerful future in store for us that we've been called and rescued simply by faith. And I pray you would call even more people to yourself today, even We love you and love that you are a God who has a great future for us. So be at work with us. And I pray, Lord, that you would connect the people here to groups where they can grow and thrive in their faith. These things in Jesus' name, for his glory. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.